This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And here we go. We are back. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio, and of course, joining me as always is Mr. Paul Pertichese. Paul, welcome to the big show. Absolutely, Matt. Really excited to have you alongside. Always a pleasure when you are able to join me. I know this year it's been a little bit on and off with life, you know, throwing us a lot of challenges and curveballs, but always a blast to have you with me. And especially for the start of our one of our favorite series every single year we do. I think the fans truly enjoy it too. It's our tear buster shows. And tonight we're going to start with the 2021 quarterback class i imagine myself in like a radio studio of way more high tech than my basement with like a soundboard and i can like press an ignition button that would send you know an earth shattering kind of explosion through our ears but (laughs) but unfortunately i don't have that but i am equally excited paul i'm really excited to spend this time going through the show as you said you know, you're not going to be really hearing much of my tears at this juncture. We're really going to spend the time exploring your tears and really where players settled in during this year's series. So, Paul, let's get into the quarterbacks and talking about the quarterbacks first. Before we kind of get into our tiers and break down, you know, what tier one and what comprises and composes tier two, just just give me a 50 cent tour, thumbnail sketch overall, you know, two minutes or less. What did you think of the class in general? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a a really interesting year because, you know, some guys didn't play much and some guys played very little because of COVID. So I think my evaluations from the summer probably hold a little bit tighter than usual in a traditional year where we have so much new film to really analyze and evaluate. And The class as a whole, I think, is a really strong class. I think there's four guys that weren't top 10 consideration, and we'll obviously talk about them. But then I think there's a handful of others, you know, another, you know, I shouldn't say a full handful, another two or three that weren't consideration on day two, and then some intriguing flyers on day three. So I think it's a strong class, and I know we're talking 2021 I don't anticipate next year, just to kind of take the really far out view, I don't anticipate next year to class being as strong as this year's class. So I think a lot of teams you're going to see being aggressive in the NFL level to get themselves their quarterback this year because there's some intriguing guys down the pike. But I don't think anybody down the pike right now is coming with the pedigree of a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, the intrigue of a Zach Wilson, or the athletic profile and upside of a, of a Trey Lance. You're not going to have four guys like that next year. So I think you're going to see a lot of teams be aggressive to try to go get themselves a quarterback this year. And I think it's going to be a really intriguing uh, pre-draft process to hear you know what people think about these guys. But then really on draft weekend, I think you're going to see a lot of movement for the quarterbacks at the top of the draft. And then you're going to see some intrigue with that next tier of guys as well, whether they come off the board, potentially late round one, most likely day two. Uh, and then where do those flyer type goes in terms of those developmental guys on day three, you know, and, and can any of them materialize and, and develop into a high end backup or a potential starter down the line? 
Yeah, no, I really all great points. And I, and I would agree with you. I mean, as you look down the road to next year, I mean, beyond this year and down, I, you know, there really isn't that type of depth at the position and this is the year to kind of go get them. So I agree with you. I think there's going to be a lot of intrigue and a lot of pushing and shoving, you know, in NFL draft rooms to kind of make the pick that they need to kind of set up their franchises. So let's kind of, before we get into the tiers themselves, let's, let's just go ahead and take a quick reminder of what really breaks down our tiers. So tier one, we've decided is a first round selection in the NFL draft. This would be a round two dynasty rookie pick in like a one quarterback league. And he would, this probably, this player would probably also be a round one dynasty rookie pick in like a super flex or two quarterback league. We really consider these particular players to be those kind of franchise QBs, the players that are going to go on day one, or at least at the V at the very, you know, at the very worst, they're going at the beginning of day two. And these are guys that are going to be immediate starters that we're hoping are going to be setting up franchises. So that's our tier one at the position. Position. Tier two, these are more round two, three selections in the NFL draft. These are going to be mid to late round dynasty rookie picks in a one quarterback league. And they're usually going to probably fall in that round two or three dynasty rookie pick in like super flex or two quarterback leagues. These players have starter potential or they're at least at the very worst going to be high-end backups that are potentially going to be spot starters, or they're going to be players that could work themselves into consideration as being that quarterback for a team. So these are really, to think about these players, these are players that are going to have the shot to potentially start at some point, or at the very worst, they're high-end backups. Tier three, that's going to be round four through six kind of selections in the NFL draft. These guys are more like watch list players in dynasty rookie leagues. Probably in that one quarterback league, these are going to be on your watch list. And if you're in like a super flex or two quarterback league, these are probably going to be players that you're going to take in your late rounds in order to kind of fill out your roster. Like think, think Jacob Eason is somebody that I would equate this to that Jacob Eason is probably going to be, you know, a player that would fit into that mold. He's probably was drafted this year. If you're in a two quarterback league as sort of a back end, let's see what happens type of situation. Tier four in our particular standings, that's going to be a late round kind of UDFA selection in NFL drafts. This is a practice squad player, a third string type of quarterback, or it's going to be a quarterback that honestly we don't really have that many exposures on. So we're, we're kind of going to take a, a little bit of a hands-off approach and kind of mention their name in this tier just to kind of either wait until there's more film available or to the draft process continues to bear itself out and we have a little bit more of a feel for them. So those are kind of a, a, a tier breakdown of what we look at in the quarterback position. So, Paul, let's let's get right into maybe tier one. And in tier one, again, these are players that we consider to be bona fide franchise potential QBs. Paul, I, I'm not even going to say the names. I'm just going to leave it for you. But I'm going to tell you is I don't think we've seen this type of caliber of talent in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it before, you know. Inside this tier, do I think it can kind of be divvied up? Yeah, I, I kind of can. But, I mean, the problem is we're trying to make these tiers to be universal tiers to kind of go by year after year. We we change things here or there, but we're trying to take in NFL draft round projection, a fantasy component, a talent of a component to make these. So based on our tiering system, 
I think you have four guys in this tier. And I said before, I think they're all worthy to be top 10 picks. Obviously, you have Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. You know, he's at the top of my rankings. He's my clear number one quarterback. You can make the case that he's basically maybe in his own tier by himself. I was just, I was just about to say that, Paul. I was just about to say that. You maybe could say that. Yes, I, and, I, and I think that I think that argument is, is justified. You know, based on his total package of of what he's done in college and what people consider him translating to the next level, the level of problems he's had to solve, and the amount of NFL things he's done in college, I think is what puts him at a higher level of of prospect than. Number two, who I have is Justin Fields. I think that's the main component between them. Lawrence has more experience, more games started, you know, more reps and experience that way. And we've seen him solve more NFL problems than we've seen Justin Fields, who had a lot of one read things, not have to go for progressions as much and stuff like that. So I think that's the difference between them. But Justin Fields is next up in my tier. I still think that Justin Fields is the number two quarterback in this class. It might doesn't sound like that's going to happen anymore, but I still think he's the number two quarterback in this class. His playmaking ability, I think, is very similar to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, just to go back to Trevor Lawrence for one second, I don't think there's a lot to be said about Trevor Lawrence. He's the best quarterback prospect that that the NFL has looked at since Andrew Luck. He's the best quarterback prospect since we started Saturday to Sunday, and I don't think it's particularly close. So he can do it all. He can win with his legs. He can buy time with his legs. He can make every NFL throw. He has top-level arm talent. He can he – can, you know, there's not a lot that Trevor Lawrence can't do. So he sits at the top. Justin Fields is in that tier also. Talked about him, his ability to play off structure and make plays when things break down too. His arm talent is top notch. I think Justin Fields is ahead of where Lamar Jackson was coming out of college. So that's high praise for Justin Fields, but I think he's a better thrower and a better pure passer than Lamar Jackson was. He doesn't have the same level of explosion and speed in terms of running ability as Lamar Jackson, but I put him ahead of that in terms of that. There's some things he's got to work on and continue to develop for sure. You know, some inconsistencies here or there, but I mean, we started that game against Clemson. That's the level that he can bring. And I, I fell in love with Deshaun Watson for all the time when I watched him play, but it was those two Alabama games that made me believe in him as a star. And as a guy that I would say, I want to bet the house on in terms of my NFL franchise drafting. I go back to that Clemson game and what we saw Justin Fields do banged up in the second half. And that's the kind of game that I think is what NFL teams look at and they don't forget that. And I don't forget that. I think what we saw in that game was so impressive. That's the, that's, the trademark game of Justin Fields that I remember from his collegiate career. So he's in my tier one, followed by Zach Wilson at BYU. Matt and I did a full hour episode on a deep dive of Zach Wilson. You know, so I'm not going to dig too deep into right here. He reminds me of Tony Romo. I love the things he he had the most growth of anybody this year. His ability to throw from different platforms and different arm angles is one of my favorite traits about him. Uh, he can make every NFL throw. Really good accuracy. There are some issues, though, that he sometimes leads receivers into bad spots, and he just hasn't had to solve a lot of NFL problems, I don't think, is the one thing that I want to see more from him. And then Trey Lance rounds out that tier, only played one game this year, but you go back and watch his film, 
he's got a lot of upside and intrigue to him, but then there's a lot of unknown with him because there were games that he only was asked to throw the ball 15 to 20 times. But I mean, last year, I think it was 28 touchdowns and one interception, you know, prior going into this season, his athleticism, his arm talent, he's a guy that you look at and he just oozes with potential and upside. So I love all forties. I think all forties in, in fantasy are going to be impactful rookies. I honestly think Wilson would probably be the least because he does the least with his legs in terms of like, you know, drafting in terms of dynasty rookie picks, but all of them, I think are franchise caliber quarterbacks. I do think the level of how quick they start maybe varies. I think Lawrence is going to start from day one. I could see, all the others potentially waiting a little bit, but we know these guys get on the field quicker than, than, than maybe they should. I would think that Trey Lance in a perfect scenario would end up somewhere that maybe gets the red shirt half a year to a year, whether that's Carolina behind Teddy Bridgewater or, you know, Atlanta behind Matt Ryan, you know, something like that. I think would be best for Trey Lance to, to, to really hone his skills a little bit and learn the NFL uh, game a little bit. But I think all four of them, I can't remember a tier having this many guys at the top and the amount of upside. Like we had the year with Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen and, you know, and that clash, Josh Allen, you know, and, you know, there was a really, and Sam Darnold, right? I would probably, if I, if I recall, all four of them were probably in my tier one. So we have had four guys in tier one, but the upside of these four guys is significantly higher, I think than the upside that those guys offered. And this is coming from one of the one of the cheerleaders of the Josh Allen fan club as well. But I think as a collective group, this group of four is is higher upside and ceiling than those guys. Well, Paul, I think what separates this class from the classes you just spoke about is the pedigree, as you've noted earlier. The pedigree being that these players, and specifically, I think we're not referring necessarily to Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. I'm really exclusively referring to Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. These are guys that have that quote-unquote pedigree. They've been doing this since high school. These are not two players that suddenly emerged out of nowhere. These are players that have had that pressure of being the guy the top player amongst the top five vying for the first or the best player in football since they've been in high school. It's always been Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. It was sort of like, what Kool-Aid do you like the flavor of? Like, like, do you prefer, do you prefer, you know, Trevor Lawrence, a little bit more deftly accurate, um, equally as athletic, a little bit more of that, you know, a little bit more of that quarterback that's going to be able to live in the pocket a little bit more. Um, or do you prefer the Justin Fields where you see that explosive arm talent, you see that incredible athleticism and you see the, the kind of hybrid, you know, version of, you know, Cam Newton kind of meets, you know, like, yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like a, a Cam Newton style player kind of meeting the passing acumen of like, you know, uh, of a top notch thrower like Matthew Stafford. I don't know. It's kind of like a Matthew Stafford meets Cam Newton type of feel for Justin for Justin Fields. And like that's really and you know what's funny? It he does remind me a little of Matthew Stafford um in the terms of the way he hurls that ball. And I'm not surprised if, you know, Justin Fields takes a little bit time to kind of reach his kind of, you know, 
absolute pinnacle of his ability. But Justin Fields has been a guy that I would say was my one A over Trevor Lawrence for a long time. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily buck those wagons, so to speak, just because of Trevor Lawrence's success in college. I still think that, as you pointed to last year you know, Justin Fields was still, you know, on the rise this year. We had a chance to see him do very well against Clemson. I, I think Justin Fields is a fantastic player. I think him and Trevor Lawrence are going to be a great addition to the league. I think if you are in a dynasty league, I think you'd be a fool. If you're in a one quarterback or two quarterback league, I don't care what your format is. I don't think you let these guys get out of the top eight in your respective leagues. And I mean that. I would take him in the top eight, both of them. I don't care if it's one QB or two QBs. You're talking about players that could literally be franchise setters for your fantasy team. So that's where I kind of stand on these guys. So, I mean, listen, Zach Wilson, we've talked about him. Trey Lance, we've talked about him. Now, Paul, as intriguing as tier one is, there is a player going into the next tier that some argue, in fact, you could argue, and many have argued, that there are two players in the next tier that could be in the first tier, or vice versa. Paul, what does tier two look like for you in the quarterback class? And and do you think you can kind of solve my riddle that I just presented to you? What two players have been kind of the most randomly seated in that tier? Yes, I mean, listen... I think most people who are doing this tier based on what we discussed are going to have five guys in tier one and are going to include Mac Jones out of Alabama. Because if you listen to the tea leaf, if you listen and read the tea leaves, it sure sounds like Mac Jones is going in round one. Like there are people who think he can go as high as in the middle of round one. And there are a lot of people who think he'll go late round one in the 20s somewhere or at the back end of round one. I look at Mac Jones and I don't view him as a clear cut franchise quarterback. I've gone on record as that. I think he com- compares a lot to what Mason Rudolph was coming out of Oklahoma State. I think his ceiling is somewhere on that Andy Dalton to Kirk Cousins trajectory if he hits that ceiling. I think what he did at Alabama was tremendous. He took over for Tua, he won a national title. But we hear at Saturday Sunday talk all the time about does he has he been asked to solve NFL problems? I don't think Mac Jones was asked to solve many NFL problems, and I think you're going to put him behind a, a poor a poor offensive line, not as many playmakers, not as many space. The difference between NFL open and college open, we talked about that with Tua this year, and at times he seemed to struggle with that. I think that's something that Mac Jones will struggle with. And then you take into account he's much more of an old-school, traditional-style quarterback. He plays from the pocket. He wins from the pocket. How would he, How is he going to handle pressure when pressure inevitably comes at the NFL level? I'm, I have my concerns. I think he's very much a slow-footed mover, so I don't think he's going to be a guy who makes plays with his legs in terms of picking up yards rushing. But more importantly, I don't think he's going to be a guy that can move around the pocket and buy time. And I almost think in today's NFL, with what offensive-minded coaches want to create in terms of moving the launch point, moving the pocket, the threat of the RPOs, and you combine that with offensive line play, it's probably at an all-time low. 
collegiate players are just not coming in and being that productive, to be honest with you. You combine those two things, I have my reservations in terms of Mac Jones, in terms of him translating to the next level and being a high-impact player. A lot of people think he's got the goods in terms of his knowledge, his understanding, and that maybe can supersede my concerns about athleticism, lack of mobility, moving in the pocket, buying time in the pocket, throwing on the run. I think he's a guy who's going to need everything around him to be perfect. And if it is, or it's really good, he could be a functional NFL starter. That's where I think his ceiling is. I don't want to draft that in round one, especially if I'm looking for a guy, a franchise quarterback. I think he's more of a day two type guy where you hope that he develops into a starting quarterback or he becomes a high-end backup down the line. You don't invest the entire franchise for the next three or four years. Now, listen, it's different now in the NFL. We've seen teams move on quickly. Josh Rosen, Dwayne Haskins, two perfect examples. You know, the Jets might be moving on from Sam Darnold. So it's not as much a disadvantage to take a guy and then move on if it doesn't work out in a year or two. You don't feel that obligation, even if you take him in round one anymore. I just don't look at Mac Jones as, as, as a guy on the same level as those other guys. And maybe I'm holding it against him too much, what he played around. And I, I got to oh, you know, be a little bit more open. But I just see, I watch so much NFL. And the guys that I see are, are impactful NFL quarterbacks. How many of them, besides Tom Brady right now, win just from inside the pocket? And even Tom Brady, his career, there's been very few that have been better at navigating inside the small pocket, but navigating, sidestepping, stepping up to buy time. So it's never that Tom Brady was this athletic marvel, but very similar to Eli Manning too. We saw guys like Eli Manning and Tom Brady win as traditional pocket passing quarterbacks, but they still were able to move around in the pocket and handle pressure. I don't know if Mac Jones is going to be able to do that. And if he can't do that and he's slow-footed and can't make plays with his legs, I have my concerns. So he's the guy at the top of my tier two, closest to tier one, but I got some concerns. The other two guys in my tier are Kyle Trask and Jamie Newman. Kyle Trask took a jump up from a day three guy into the day two mix. I really liked what I saw from Kyle Trask. I think, I don't see, I don't think there's a, I think Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are closer to each other than Mac Jones is to those top four guys. That's a that's a very different opinion than I think a lot of people out there. But I, I like Mac Jones a little bit more after doing more research. But I think Kyle Trask is closer to him than Mac Jones is to the top of the, the the top of the other tier guys. I think Kyle Trask is solid across the board. There's nothing about Kyle Trask's game though that is a wow factor. He doesn't have a clear calling card, but I do think he's pretty solid across the board. There's a lot of things I like about him. I, I like the size. I like the frame. You know, he's got his arm. Te- his arm talent is fine. He can make NFL throws. Again, he's another guy, though, not going to move around a lot, not going to play off structure a lot, not going to make a lot of plays when, when, when things break down. So he's in that, too. I think he's more another guy who can develop into maybe a functional starter. The wild card is Jamie Newman. When I watched him in Wake last summer, it was hard to not watch him and not see glimpses of Cam Newton Auburn. Listen to what I just said, Cam Newton Auburn glimpses of Cam Newton Auburn. 
did not say in the summer that I thought he was an ex Cam Newton, but size, frame, style of play, arm talent, the package, red zone runner reminded me a lot of Cam Newton. I was super excited to see him play this year at Georgia. He chose to opt out due to COVID. I think if he played and was successful, I think he's the guy that could have been in tier one as my fifth guy. I was most intrigued with Jamie Newman, and I thought he could have elevated himself into be that riser that started the year out as a day two guy, but worked his way into round one. He's still the guy that intrigues me. So if I'm an NFL team and you tell me I got to take Mac Jones in round one or I can get Jamie Newman in round three, it's not even close for me. I'm taking Jamie Newman in round three and I'm seeing what happens after I develop him for a year or two because I do believe his upside is very high. He has a lot, but he needs more reps. He, I need to see him handle pressure. In the small moments where he had to face pressure at Wake, there were some concerns. He was going to face a lot of pressure at Georgia this year. And I needed to see that SEC competition against him, and we just didn't get to see it. So he's a complete wild card. But he's the guy that intrigues me the most in Tier 2. In terms of fantasy, he's the only guy in Tier 2 that I'd be intrigued with. In fantasy, the way fantasy's played now, I'm not intrigued with a, with a traditional pocket-passing quarterback. Obviously, if it's two-quarterback, everybody is of some intrigue. But even so, they it would be minimal. Newman is the guy that ha- would have a lot of intrigue as a guy that I'd want to stash regardless of type of setting because he's the guy that combines the passing with red zone prowess like a Cam Newton, like a Josh Allen to be a major factor. He's got a lot of development, handling pressure, reading progress, going through de- reading defenses, going through progressions, more consistent with his accuracy. Throws a really nice deep vertical ball, though. A lot of things to like about Newman, a lot of areas of development. He's the most intriguing guy from tier two for me. Well, I mean, my fantasy team is kind of like the way they run the Green Bay Packers. I always draft a quarterback every year. So it's kind of funny that you said that because you're not going to get Jamie Newman in our league, Paul. I'm probably <laughs> going to take him. Um, it, it, in the time that I've had to kind of start reviewing this class, you're 100% right about Jamie Newman. That was the riddle. The riddle wasn't Kyle Trask, and the riddle wasn't – I mean, Mac Jones was an obvious one. But Jamie Newman, to me, is the guy along with Mac Jones that really could be anywhere – in this particular tier set. Um, And some people love Mac Jones more, others less. Um, But I, I I mean, to your point, I think Jamie Newman is absolutely a player whose ceiling has yet to be known. And going back to some of the concerns that you have, I think the thing that we forget is with quarterbacks, I think this is just my own little commentary about this. So take it with, with a grain of salt. I think with, court, with quarterbacks, I think we we have this understanding of arm talent sometimes and this understanding of arm strength and NFL throws as being this isolated thing that doesn't exist within the context of the whole team. You mentioned a lot of pieces that we kind of in a desperate way kind of talk about, like how offensive line play is going to enter, you know, is really going to kind of intercede or into or insert itself into quarterback play and the way in which, you know, the ability to, you know, kind of 
gain time by working on or off platform, on or off structure, the way that can, you know, kind of give more time to the quarterback to throw the ball. There's so many interchangeable parts to a quarterback's game that it's really, really hard to look at a player and say, you know, well, they've got the arm talent, they've got the arm strength, ipso facto, they should be, you know, a decent potential starter. And that goes with Mac Jones. I think a lot of people look at Mac Jones and I think a lot of people see that they like his play speed. They like the way he sees the game very quickly, but I I think you have to offset that with a lot of the kind of tertiary or tangential pieces around him that were at play. He had good old line, some good wide receivers, and it wasn't necessarily the windows that you're going to see in the NFL. We could argue that the same thing is true with Tua, and there's an argument to be made that maybe we were a little – uh, and you know, in, we were a little bit, um, let's just say we were a little charmed by Tua's kind of rise to the top in Alabama that, you know, maybe we weren't seeing the whole picture, right? That's what some people would say after this year, we didn't really see the whole picture with Tua. We were so just charmed by his rise and the story that maybe we don't want to make the same mistake twice with Mac Jones. I- I'm inclined to say that Tua is a better quarterback prospect by a by a good amount than Mac Jones. So I'm not feeling that way. So let's not like go into this saying that Mac Jones, well, you could have said the same about Tua. I don't think they're the same quarterback. That's my opinion. So I think you're talking about Mac Jones as a very different quarterback for him to win from the pocket. He's got to see it and he's got to throw it fast, not just see it fast. He's got to be able to throw it fast. And I think Mac Jones is going to have to be able to do that the next level. And I'm like you, I'll take him in round two. Not entirely sure I want to take him in round one. But Jamie Newman, that's the that's the one. That's the player that you have to be excited about. And that's the one that I hope a team takes a chance on. Because I think that if you put him in the right opportunity, you give him a little time, he could be a player that in today's, like you said, today's modern NFL, which I think is hilarious because I feel like we've been talking about this for, for years now. In today's NFL, It's about presenting the defense with more problems than they have solutions for. And when you have a quarterback that can win in multiple ways, that creates more problems for that defensive coordinator. And that puts defenses in a bind. I don't care how talented and athletic you are. When you have a quarterback that can also threaten you with his feet, even to the most smallest modicum of a degree, think Zach Wilson in this year's class. I don't think Zach Wilson's a great runner, but he's fast enough in terms of his decision-making and what he can do with his feet to be effective. You got somebody like that. That's one extra problem the defense needs to solve. I think Jamie Newman brings that in spades, and then he's also going to have the potential to develop as a passer. And I'm excited for a player like that. That's That's why we were excited about Josh Allen to some degree. So, I mean, not because Josh Allen could run and he couldn't pass. It was more like Josh Allen had this great arm, but the passing acumen wasn't quite there yet, and he was a little athletic. That's why we're saying this is a guy who could emerge. Well, Jamie Newman, in terms of draft profile, could fit that Josh Allen mold of buy now while he's cheap because he could end up emerging and becoming a starter for your respective team. So that was a really great dot, really great breakdown of tier two. Paul, let's get into tier three because there's a player in tier three that I, I still burn a candle for. I still go. I, you know, I put my donation in the box and I burn a candle for this player. What do you think about tier three? So tier three 
listen, it's a small tier for me. You talked about it before. These are guys who we kind of think are in that round four to round six mix. And the two guys that intrigue me the most are Kellen Mann out of Texas A&M and Sam Ellinger out of Texas. Davis Mills at as as Stanford is, is the third guy in this tier. He's a guy that I just got a, around to to really doing some film eval over the last week. Uh, he may be added to the scouting notebook. Uh, let me start with Davis Mills because he's the guy who intrigues me the least about it. But I do think the NFL will still be a little bit intrigued. Why? Because there's a lot of guys that are still looking for that old prototype. There's a lot of guys in the league, a lot of scouts who still are looking for that traditional size, pocket passing quarterback, so that they, who they still have enough voice in the NFL. I look at Davis Mills and I think a better version of Jake Luden. That's what I think. He's a guy who was very highly regarded coming out of high school. He I think redshirted his first year. Then he lost out the job to KJ Costello, you know, and then eventually got his opportunity, you know, not this past year, but the last year to play and, and performed well. And then this year he played a couple games, you know, Pac-12 was, you know, kind of decimated a little bit this year. So he didn't play a lot. But I, I look at Mills and I think he's like a sixth round, fifth round type guy. I've heard some buzz that he might get third, fourth round consideration. That's too rich for my blood. I think he's much more of a round five, round six guy, similar to where Jake Luden came off the board. He's got the prototype size. He's got big arm talent. He can make every NFL pro in terms of velocity, in terms of strength. But there's some inconsistency with his accuracies, uh, going for progressions. He's not a guy, you know, similar to what we said about Mac Jones before. He's not a guy who's going to make things happen with his legs. He's not going to be a guy you're going to move the launch point, you know, and, and get him on rollouts and stuff like that. Like, I think he needs to be in a very traditional, old style offense, very pro style, heavy play action, vertical base passing concepts. And I, I think in a setting like that, he could be a functional backup quarterback. That's that's what I think with Davis Mills because he's got the arm talent, but we've seen plenty of guys have the arm talent who not who are not able to succeed at the next level. So that that's kind of what I think about Davis Mills. Kellen Mond and Sam Ellinger are the two that intrigue me the most in this tier. You watch Kellen Mond's best film, and he looks like a version of Dak Prescott, and he should be a first round pick. You watch the other versions of Kellen Mond. He looks like he should be a UDFA. So it's very hard to read that from all the reports at the senior bowl. It sounded like that kind of carried itself over as well. But Mond has a impressive ability to throw on the run, to play and handle pressure, to make plays happen. And I think it might just be a natural intuitiveness that when the play breaks down, he just lets his natural athleticism you know, shine and maybe less thinking, less trying to do perfect ball placement. Again, this is just, you know, me psychoanalyzing from, you know, the the 10,000 foot view, but that's what it seems like sometimes because it seems like, you know, when he's on the move, he just seems so much more comfortable. His decisions are better. He just lets it rip. His accuracy seems to be better. And, and that's not something that's traditionally the case that a guy handling pressure and throwing on the move and throwing on the run is, is better in terms of his accuracy. But at times it just seems like Kellen Mond is more comfortable when he is 
on the move. So there's things like that. The fact that he does that is what will intrigue NFL teams to take him on round four or round five. Because I do think that there's a lot that would be intriguing by him in terms of in terms of that because he has the natural arm talent. He has the athleticism. He has the mobility. But can he use that and harness it to com- to develop and improve the areas of mental processing, decision making, pocket presence, reading defenses, going through progressions and just overall level of consistency? Consistency, play in and play out. Not look like an all like an all star on one drive and then a third stringer on the on the next drive. And there's so much up and down, series to series, game to game for Kellen Mond throughout his collegiate career. You kept waiting for him to put it all together because if he ever does, he's going to join that list of guys that you know is very small that of starting NFL quarterbacks that were not drafted in the first two rounds. That's the kind of talent he has, but can he put it all together? It's a big ask because he's, he's played a lot. He has been a starter for many years and played a lot of games and hasn't been able to, but if he gets in the right system, right scheme coached up and can, can, can fine tune some of those things, he's got a chance. He's got a chance. And then Sam Ellinger, He's the Tim Tebow of this class. Character, size, frame, red zone running ability, toughness, play strength, physicality, everything you hear about him, leader, all that stuff. Sam Allinger has it all in spades. His arm talent, average. Velocity and strength. His accuracy, okay in the short to intermediate range. Arm talent to make the vertical throws, Accuracy and consistent making the vertical throws. He's got to speed up the mental processing. He's got to speed up the decision-making. Show the ability to go through progressions, not just take off and run. But in today's NFL, Sam Mellinger might have a shot. I'm not saying he's going to be a starter, but he might have a shot to develop into a backup. Teams are looking for those guys that can come in, save a game, or start a game, if need be. Sam Ellinger's dual versatility as passer and runner would be intriguing to NFL teams because he's the type of guy that can come in and could cause some fits to a defense due to his ability to run and make plays. Listen, we can go on a long litany of of Tim Tebow discussion. Tim Tebow wasn't in the league because people didn't want the circus that came with Tim Tebow for whatever it is. Tim Tebow should have had a long NFL career. Maybe not as a starter. Maybe he didn't have the goods to be a starter. Great college player. But he should have been in the NFL for a long time. As it as it as a intriguing backup quarterback spot starter. Sam Allinger's got some tools. And I mentioned it on the Senior Bowl recap show. Mike Tannenbaum was on the ESPN coverage. And he threw out a top 100 pick for Sam Allinger. I like Sam Allinger. It's a little lofty for me. I don't know if Mike Tannenbaum is just pulling that out of thin air, doing an agent a favor. But if he's not, and he has the pulse of NFL scouts, maybe Sam Ellinger is going higher than we think. I don't know. But I do think I do think his makeup, his size, his frame, his dual capabilities 
will intrigue some NFL teams. So he's a guy, round four, round five, maybe as late as round six, but I'm thinking more round four, round five for him. I'm thinking round four, round five for Kellen Mond, and then round six, Davis Mills, even though it sounds like Davis Mills might go a little bit higher. Even inside that tier, I clearly right now like Kellen Mond and Sam Ellinger ahead of Davis Mills. I, I'm intrigued by by Sam Ellinger. I'm buying his rookie card. Okay? <laughs> I'm buying his rookie card, and, and, I'm, and I mean that, Jess. I mean, listen. I've I, there's no secret here. If you've been a fan of the show and you've been listening to us for a while, you know my long, you know, held kind of feel about Sam Ellinger being a player that has a role in the NFL, a player that has value. And to Paul's point. You know, Paul, I mean, when you really do think about it, top 100, very lofty in my opinion as well. But you get it if this is a guy that people are thinking is a backup quarterback, right? Because we we keep throwing out backup quarterback like it's a, a throwaway term, I think. And in fantasy, it probably is. Nobody's drafting the backup quarterback. But in but in real NFL, I mean, like, come on, man, that's roster construction. You're talking about a player that takes cap money. You're talking about a player that has to be owned, a player that needs to be rostered. And if you can get one in the draft that you think could fit your team and scheme in perpetuity, then there's value there. Yes, not fantasy value. But there's roster construction value in getting a quarterback in the draft. That's a backup. And I think Sam Ellinger is that type of player. I I think he's a player that, to your point, yes, Tim Tebow probably should have had a much longer career. I feel like, you know what, to give you a, a modern example of it, I think that Sam Ellinger's potential is Taysom Hill meets Jalen Hurts. And I think that's the kind of player you're looking at. He doesn't quite have the athleticism of Jalen Hurts, um, probably more along the lines of Taysom Hill, but his arm in terms of, you know, the ability to throw and the ability to, to kind of be a passer, I think is in line with those guys. And look at what Taysom Hill did, right? He won some games, right? Won some games for New Orleans this year. Look at Jalen Hurts, right? There was a lot of hoopla surrounding him as a potential next starter in Philadelphia. I mean, there's value there. And I love Sam Ellinger as a player throughout his collegiate career. I know that he's not, you know, kind of poised to be this, the next all world starter. But I think that people are potentially because of our fantasy lens are diminishing what he may be at the next level. And I think that would be a mistake. I think he's a good player. He's a good football player. And I get, and I agree with you. Kellen Mond is a, is a player since high school, since I was watching him in high school, Paul, you could see the inconsistencies and he just hasn't been able to put it together. And he just hasn't been able to do that. But I mean, you know what? You change something like you go from college to the NFL, all of a sudden you're putting your big boy pants on and you're now, you know, a pro. That could be the, you know, the the, you know, the the stimulus, so to speak, the change that catapults him to the next phase of his development. So so who knows? Paul, let's round this out tonight. Let's get into our tier fours. Who are in your tier four at quarterback? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, we're talking late round. Uh, priority free agent, UDFA types. So for me, this my my tier four is made up of Ian Book out of Notre Dame. Listen, Ian Book, great collegiate career. He's a gamer. He reminds me so much of Colt McCoy. I think he's going to have a long NFL career. I do. I think he's going to be drafted. 
maybe even get drafted. You know, maybe he even belongs in tier three. And he's a guy. If I'm gonna make a, if I if I make a change between now and and the day of the draft, it might be that Ian Book jumps up into the tier three mix where I have Davis Mills. He won't jump into the top of the tier where I have Kellen Mond, Sam Ellinger, because his physical capabilities are just not on that level. But Ian Book is a guy who can make plays with his legs. We saw him run a lot in college. So you can do some things. We saw Colt McCoy start games for the Giants this year, right? As a backup quarterback. He's had a long career coming out of Texas. I think Ian Book could get there. I think he'll be drafted late and he'll start as a third string type quarterback. But I think he can develop into a backup quarterback who can be a serviceable backup and be a spot starter if the if the starter goes down. He can he can move the move the chains. It won't be a lot of pushing the ball vertically down the field, but he could hit he could attack in the short to intermediate. He can do some RPOs. He can run and take off. Smart guy. He can read coverages, go through progressions. There's a lot of things about Ian Book that are good. I think his concerns, though, is not something that can change, right? The lack of arm talent, the lack of velocity, the ability to put it in tight windows, push the ball vertically down the field. Those things aren't things that can get really much better, right? So I think his ceiling is limited. But I think he's the type of guy who's going to have a long career in the NFL and probably make himself a lot of money, I think, as a backup quarterback for a long time. Because I think he's a guy who will will – start out as a third stringer and work his way up and, and be around in the league for a while as a, as a backup quarterback at some point. So again, maybe, maybe I have him a tier too low. The more I'm thinking about this and talking about it, I think right here, as we're talking, he might be a guy who would be a jumper and would jump into tier three for me, because I do think he's got a guy who's going to be in the NFL. And if I think he's going to be in the NFL for a period of time, he should be more tier three, to be honest with you. Because the other guys I have in this tier are Felipe Franks out of Arkansas, KJ Costello out of Mississippi State, formerly of Stanford, and Shane Bichelle out of SMU, formerly of Texas. Those guys, I think, are they, they're going to need some things to break right for those guys to be you know, have a long career in the NFL. They're very developmental. They each have things. Felipe Franks, He's got a big arm. He's got a big arm, but he's got to harness that 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 arm talent, uh, de- reading defenses, progressions. He's been a very up and down, inconsistent quarterback throughout his collegiate career. So I think he's around seven or priority free agent. KJ Costello, man, I was really excited for KJ Costello. I thought he had a chance before the year started to be a day two guy. I thought he was a day two guy last summer when I watched him, not this past summer. The summer before, I was really excited for him last year at Stanford. And then after last year, I watched him, you know, again. And I said to myself, he still intrigues me. And then he was going to go to Mississippi State. He was going to play in that Mike Leach offense. And he started his first game. He was unbelievable. And I thought this was it. This was his turning point. He was going to start elevating his draft stock. This is a guy who's going to elevate himself into a top 50 or top 100 pick. And then it just kind of fell apart for him this year. So I think he's a guy who's toolsy, like Felipe Franks, toolsy. But I the inconsistency, though, is what's going to do him in because he doesn't have as many highs as a guy like Kellen Mond, who I had him in the previous year. So I think Franks and Costello are very similar. 
They got the arm talent, something Ian Book doesn't have. But they they haven't put the consistency, they haven't put the the quarterbacking aspect into enough consistent use in terms of their collegiate career to make them higher than a late round quarterback pick or a priority free agent. And then Shane Bichelle, to me, very similar to Ian Book without the athleticism and running capability. He's more of a smaller, you know, size frame guy, a little bit better arm talent than Ian Book, but limitations in terms of his arm talent, but he doesn't have the athleticism and running capability and mobility of Ian Book. And that's where it's going to be hard for him because I think Book can get by in spurts because of that athleticism and mobility to do different things. Bichelle, similar in size and stature, a little bit better arm talent, but doesn't have that mobility and running component to his game. So I think that's what's going to hurt Bichelle. I think Franks and Costello will be round seven or priority free agents because they're natural athletic gifts, their arm talent, their overall athleticism, and a team's going to hope they can harness that arm talent into being, in, you know, an NFL level player. So that's kind of that's kind of where my my tier four is. You know, the numbers are a little bit smaller. You know, I had studied about eight other guys. You know, for and and written up profiles in the scouting notebook. They just, you know, the way things broke this year, they just didn't come out. Like, you know, I thought we were going to have Brock Purdy and Desmond Ritter. And to be honest with you. Those guys were going to be in the Mac Jones, Kyle Trask tier for me and Jamie Newman. I was very intrigued by Brock Purdy and Desmond Ritter. So those were two guys that would have made the tier two even bigger. Uh, you know, De'Ara King w- would have been a guy that would have been very intriguing in, in that Kellen Bond, Sam Ellinger type territory. I wrote him up, you know, and then there were guys a little bit lower down in terms of Tanner Morgan, Sean Clifford, Ian Book, those type of guys. Uh, you know, that I thought, you know, I thought Tanner Morgan and Sean Clifford may have came out, uh, Anthony Russo, Jake Bentley, you know, those guys, a bunch of those guys went into the transfer portal and now we're heading to new schools. Like Jake Bentley's going to South Alabama, Anthony Russo's headed to Michigan state. Uh, so those will be guys that we're talking a little bit about next year. So we had another like eight guys who I kind of thought were maybe going to be a part of this draft class, especially, uh, Ritter and Purdy. I thought those two were slam dunks to be a part of this draft class. So, you know, I studied about over 20 guys. It's just the way it kind of broke down right now. Uh, you know, a bunch of them ended up going back to school, but I don't think right now we're missing out on anybody who is relevant in top five round consideration. If anybody else gets drafted in the NFL, I think it's going to be a diamond in the rough that the NFL saw a guy from a D one, you know, D one, a school or division two or something like that, that they see at, at, at a pro day, if it, if it happens or they had their eyes on and then there's the person's season was canceled. And instead of waiting the, you know, the UDFA period, maybe they, they draft in the seventh round or something like that. I would be very surprised if anybody goes top five rounds that we just didn't discuss right here. I think we've hit on the guys I don't think there's a lot of guys in the mix. Maybe a name or two pops into the late round territory, but I think we hit on a lot of the key guys that you need to know for this upcoming draft class. Really great stuff, Paul, because I think that this entire class really has something for everybody. I think from the top to the bottom, there's a lot of intrigue here. There's a lot of players that have some opportunities potentially if they develop 
it really does turn out to be a really intriguing class, especially at that top end where we're talking about potentially generational talents. So I, this pretty much wraps up our quarterback tiers. You know, this kind of takes us through everybody that we're kind of interested in and where they slot in as we kind of close this out, Paul, this show, any final thoughts or final words about this class that we really need to to kind of leave with maybe 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 an enduring understanding i've got the top let's say i got a top five pick in my rookie draft or i've got a top 10 pick in my rookie draft am i slotting one for a quarterback if i'm let's say rolling with uh tom brady right now as my quarterback one yeah i mean i listen i think in a super flex leagues you should see quarterbacks flooding you know, flooding the top of the draft. If we're talking 12 team leagues that are super flex or two quarterbacks, you should see these guys flooding the top of, of the dynasty rookie drafts, right? You know, and if you're talking one quarterback leagues and you don't have a top six or top eight guy, if you don't have Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, you know, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, you know, Deshaun Watson, you know, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. What if you're rolling? What if you're rolling with Russell Wilson right now? If you're rolling with Russell Wilson, I think the way the longevity of guys in the NFL right now, I don't think I'm drafting one in the top six because I, I think Russell Wilson is a guy who his arm talent can can last for a while still. Mm-hmm. So I I think I think it would have to be a little bit older of a guy. If I'm riding with Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, you know, if I if I'm in that level. I I'm willing to take Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields pretty high, even, even in a one quarterback draft. Uh, if I have someone in that top six to eight range, I think I'm probably waiting. But if I don't, if I have Carson Wentz, who just went through a lot this year, you know, if I have, you know, some Jared Goff, if, if those are, if that's what I'm talking about is my quarterback, then I'm being aggressive, even in a one quarterback league. You know, I'll and give I'm you go- another. I'll give I'm you one more name. Again. I'm gonna. I'll give you two more names. Matthew Stafford. I I don't. I'm I'm gonna buy. I'm buying stock on Matthew Stafford right now with the Rams, with Sean McAvey, with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, and the creativity of that offense. Now, I think he's gonna be a rock solid top eight to ten quarterback for the next handful of years. So I think I would probably invest in a receiver or running back or Kyle Pitts uh, rather than go to the well. I think he's just at the age where there could be a lot of quality years left. Okay. I got one more for you. Are you buying now the fountain of youth slash resurgence of Aaron Rodgers? See, Aaron Rodgers is tough because Aaron Rodgers, he's on the fence because I think he might have enough years left that I can wait it out and hope that in a couple years I can get the next high-level guy. And because here's the thing, the odds, if you draft him, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, you're probably never playing them in the next handful of years, because I think Aaron Rodgers is back to being Aaron Rodgers, whatever happened there where he kind of looked like he was on the decline. I don't think I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a a top five, six, six quarterback. The question is how long does he want to play? It sounds like he wants to play a while. still. 
this doesn't sound like a guy who's going to retire, you know, late thirties. This sounds like a guy who's going to, who wants to go to Tom Brady route, maybe not the 44 or 45, but this sure sounds like a guy who wants to play for a while. So I, I think it's tough. I, I'll say this. If I'm a win now team, I'm going to ride with Aaron Rodgers and I'm going to invest in a guy who could help me alongside Aaron Rodgers. If I'm on the cusp or I'm re, if I'm not, in the thick of the top of, 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 I think the standings in terms of competing for a title, then what I'm probably going to do, or from a rebuilding team, this is what I'm definitely going to do. I'm going to trade Aaron Rodgers for the best offer I can get. And then I'm going to go draft Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. So I think that's how I would preface it in terms of the Aaron Rodgers debate. I think I would base it a lot on, where my team as a whole is. And if I think I'm ready to compete, if I'm in the top four mix and, and could go for it, then I'm going to go get a wide receiver or, or running back. And I'm not taking the quarterback. If I'm, if I'm a little further down or I'm rebuilding, then I'm going to youth and I'm looking to trade Rogers off his best year, maybe ever and see what I can get for him. Take what I can get for him and go from there. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I feel like if you if you don't have somebody named Russell Wilson, I think it's up in the air right now to go and draft a quarterback. And at that point, I'm following Paul's advice on where is your team currently slated. So if your team is not a competitor or you're not really in the thick of it and you're somebody with Matthew Stafford or Aaron Rodgers or name somebody else that is, you know, a little bit less than Russell Wilson in terms of overall, you know, um, situation, let's say, um, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and move away from those guys. And I'm going to go ahead and trade those guys and get what I can for them and take a guy like, you know, Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Those are the guys I would be kind of going. So my cutoff is, is kind of Russell Wilson. And then at, after Russell Wilson, I feel like you have to make that competitive kind of overall team kind of analysis for yourself. And then you go and get these guys. But I, I will say this, don't hesitate. If you're in the top 10 this year, if at number 10, you're pretty set as a team because you probably are. You're probably top of the league so far. Don't be don't be so shy as to say to yourself, you know what? Maybe I can just take a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, sit on him because I have that type of depth on my team, and maybe you can flip him for something else even more later on. So I mean, it's just it's something to consider. It's something to consider for sure. So. This was an outstanding show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I mean, we really got into the quarterback class. This is, again, our tier buster series, our first kind of episode into the foray. We have, you know, shows on running backs, wide receiver, and tight ends yet to come. So please make sure you tune in. And again, if you are enjoying the type of content that Paul, myself, and Dave, that we're all putting out here at Saturday to Sunday, Please remember to download and subscribe to the podcast and please, 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 please to help support the podcast, consider investing in our scouting notebooks. Again, the scouting notebooks includes all the player profiles. Again, as Paul had said, we're somewhere almost close to a hundred now. And now as things begin to tease out, as we know who's draft eligible, who's coming back, who's not coming back, we will be tabbing those out, but you won't lose those profiles. You'll have access to them. So, I mean, you really get a great kind of resource here for not only this year, but I mean, think about all the 
quarterbacks that Paul mentioned that aren't there, well, they're still there in your notebook. And that means that you still have access to those things. It's it's really an opportunity to really get an advanced kind of look as you look towards the future for your respective leagues. So Matt, let me just jump in right there. Yeah. I just just to, to let people know that I did over the last 24 hours, I did divvy it up. So what you will see in the scouting notebook is you will now see a tier that says 2021 quarterbacks. And then right next to it, you will see something that says 2021 draft eligible. And anybody who was draft eligible but did not come out, the Desmond Ritter, the Brock Purdy's of the world, the De'Eric Kings of the world, all of their profiles are there in one tab. And then all of the draft guys who are now in the 2021 class are in it. And I did that for each of the four positions. So now you see eight tabs, the guys who are in it, and then all the other profiles that we wrote of guys that we thought were going to be in it. Right now, I just finished writing up today Hunter Long and uh, Kenny uh, Yeboah at the tight end position. So that's two more guys added. You know, a bunch of other guys were added around the senior bowl. So I think we're up to right around 100 total. I think it's 65 to 70 or guys that actually ended up declaring another 30 to 35 of guys that ended up not declaring. So there's over a hundred in there. I still plan on adding at least another four to five wide receivers that I'm working on. Shea Smith, Frank Darby, you know, uh, you know, uh, Eskridge, you know, a small school guy. So a handful of other wide receivers, potentially Davis Mills, a quarterback. I don't anticipate anyone really coming out of the woodworks that I have to write besides a handful of wide receivers that I'm working on uh, because there is no combine, you know, as we know it. So I think we're closing in on probably all of the guys. There'll still be more edits and updates as I watch more film on some guys. But in terms of new names added, we're probably about five to seven away from totality of what will be in the notebook. But we're closing in on 100. Uh, it's separated by tabs. And then in the rankings notebook, same thing. You will now see a tab that is just 2021 draft rankings. That is in there, only draft guys. Okay, you can you can scroll over and see the draft eligible ones where they were mixed in, but that that tab is no longer going to be updated anymore. The 2021 draft rankings will be updated on a regular basis right up until draft weekend. Uh, the tiers that Matt read out today to start the show, there that tab is now there with all my tiers for all the positions. That will be updated regularly in the next couple months. The Devi rankings have been completely updated and revamped. Anybody that declared and is in the draft has now been removed from Devi rankings. They are gone. So the Devi rankings now just consist of sophomores, juniors, and soon-to-be seniors. No incoming freshmen have yet to been added on that. That will happen in the future. And the Devi rankings are very fluid and will they will be adjusted and modified a lot over the next couple months. But they are they have been updated to kind of where we stand right now as the collegiate offseason, you know, has kind of get into gear. Uh, I did a final update on the 2020 dynasty rookies. So you could look at that as a gauge for like trade season in terms of that. And then as soon as the NFL draft happens, 2021, uh, 
dynasty rookie rankings will come out as well. And then obviously the third notebook is the draft projections notebook, which will come out in April. Again, it's the best deal guys for, for supporting the show. Nine ninety nine. We hope you really consider purchasing it. Absolutely. So on behalf of myself, Paul, and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, we'd like to thank you wholeheartedly for spending your time, your precious time with us this evening and enjoying. Hopefully, we, we hope we'll take you from your championship in years to come in your leagues, but also take you to a championship level of appreciation and understanding for the NFL draft. Thank you so much for spending your time and please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.